This is Opinionated. I don't really have a full understanding of it, but that won't stop me from having an opinion. That's why we're here. Join Features Editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson. You know, crypto is no longer just about money. It's about culture now. Isn't Wikipedia already a DAO? Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just like the future of money anymore. As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company in Silicon Valley. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea. (laughs) And just a reminder... Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, everybody. This is Opinionated. I'm Ben Schiller, Opinion Editor here at Coindesk. And with me are co-hosts Anna Bedakova hello. and Danny Nelson. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. Okay, we've got a bumper, bumper, bumper show today, fun packed. And we're going to dive into some big news out of Russia with Anna. Uh, and then we're going to look at the issue of rampant IP theft in the NFT boom. And then we're going to talk about a weird and wonderful idea from Vitalik Buterin, the founder of Ethereum, for synthetic wombs. So we'll get to that later and keep listening. Okay, Anna, what the hell is going on in Russia today? It seems like they uh, want to ban crypto and we're not going to be able to use Bitcoin in Russia anymore. Uh, Well, not quite that, but it was kind of shocking news for me. The Bank of Russia today presented a report about cryptocurrencies in which it explicitly called for a ban on any crypto-related businesses, including mining in Russia. It does not suggest a ban on owning crypto. So basically you can have it, but it suggests like really preventing people from using the Russian financial infrastructure for this kind of activity. And this is not a ban yet. Uh, It's just a suggestion. Uh, The Bank of Russia cannot suggest any legislative bills. So it's up to the parliament or the government uh, to suggest actual measures or not. Does it not suggest, uh, you know, the shape of things to come? I mean, if the Bank of Russia is doing this, then, you know, wouldn't the government follow suit? I would say Bank of Russia has been very skeptical, if not hostile to crypto. It's been for a long time, especially the head of Bank of Russia, Elvira Nabulina. She's probably the main crypto skeptic in Russia. There are different uh, forces in the Russian political elites. It's interesting to see where it goes. But Bank of Russia today made a very strong statement that it doesn't want crypto in Russia. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out. Right. I was just thinking about this. I mean, when Russia uh, invades uh, Ukraine and we put on massive sanctions on Russia, this is going to be yet another uh, sanction on the ability of people there to transact, isn't it? I mean, they're not going to be able to use the swift financial system. They're going to be all these sanctions. And now you're not going to be able to use Bitcoin either. First off, we won't come to a Russian invasion. I think we're all in agreement there. It's worth noting that as uh, we reported a couple of weeks ago with the Mnuchin files, Ukraine already has been largely cut off in some respects from the crypto ecosystem. There's a number of US-based exchanges that have applied the sanctions subject objected to Crimea to the entire country of Ukraine. And at least during the Trump administration, they failed to get clarifying guidance that would have led to those exchanges returning. So Ukraine already is kind of a victim in this sanctions game. Yeah, thank you, Danny. And Ben, you just described like the nightmare scenario going in my head for the past uh, several months. All I can do is help that what you just described will never happen. Yeah, let's just not talk about it. (laughs) Okay. All right, let's move on. That's that's big news and uh, we'll be watching that closely. 
All right, we're going to move on now. Talk to Sam Ewan, who is head of Coindesk Studios, which is an important part of Coindesk. And he wrote a very nice op-ed for us this week about the NFT boom and looking at how brands, which have in some ways benefiting from this boom, are also being victims of IP theft. And he brings a, a number of really good examples there, such as non-fungible olive gardens, which is a ripoff of the popular Italian restaurant chain and some ripoffs of Squid Game, which is a popular Netflix show and a lot of unauthorized NFTs there. So Sam, what's, what's going on here? I mean, it seems like a bit of a double-edged sword for brands. Yeah, thank you. It's been really interesting for me to see, and I sort of got interested in this primarily when Artifact, the collectible shoe NFT company came out, and it seemed like a lot of their initial forms that they were basing their creative on were re very reminiscent of Nike products. What I sort of dug into was the fact that you know, Nike not only owns trademarks for its swoosh, but also owns the IP around all of the shapes of its shoes and its patterns. It was probably a good thing that they got purchased by Nike to also avoid the legal uh, issues that might, might have come with that. But it just sort of got me interested in, in diving deeper into what seems to be just like rampant IP theft happening in the NFT space where you can find anything from, you know, Supreme to Ikea slapped on all different kinds of collections. At least at, at present, there didn't seem to be that much policing of it. But I think we've been seeing in the last couple of months that brands are starting to get more protective about their trademarks, their shapes, their sounds. I think it's a little bit of a challenge for NFT creators. So what about the platforms? Are, are they policing this, this activity? I mean, like OpenSea, which is a massive, massive brand now. I mean, what is their role in this? Well, at, at the moment, it's sort of, it's happening in both ways, right? We're seeing OpenSea is complying with DMCA takedown notices. So they removed the Olive Gardens collection from their listings. You can't find it anymore. Also over the weekend, there was another collection that was sort of a copy on the style of Olive Gardens, which was you could mint your own MTA station here in New York. So people were minting different subway stations and sort of representing those for free. Uh, and then the aftermarket was starting to heat up there. And then the MTA, which is not normally a uh, very friendly organization uh, when it comes to how they deal with the public, came in and said, no way. And OpenSea also delisted there. But both collections are still available on other NFT platforms like Zora and Looks Rare. We're seeing that sort of the more centralized and heavily invested in platforms are complying versus those that are sort of built out of the community. Sam, you mentioned uh, artifacts. Is that RTFKT? Correct. I thought that was rat f I'm serious. I've always looked at that and I thought, oh, I don't know why they call themselves rat f but that's what I see when I see RTFKT. <laughs> it might say more about you than it does about Yeah, me. I was going to say. This is very yeah. contextual. This is very in line with, with the whole mood, I guess. Yeah, I believe they do pronounce their, their brand artifact, Danny. Okay. It's like a reset for me right there. But it's funny, though, that the whole NFT concept has been long presented as a way to protect creators, you know, to, to give them this unique way to monetize their art in an independent way, you know, not depending from any show business giants or whatever. If it's actually decentralized enough, it's a great field for piracy. Right. You can basically copy paste whatever you can technologically, make it an NFT, sell it, 
And if the platform you're selling it on is actually decentralized, I'm not even sure that the NFT platforms now, there are any really decentralized platform that cannot censor what's going on. But if it is, nobody's going to stop you. You can do whatever you want. I think the question is more about when you talk about ownership and the ability to sort of represent something that showcases a part of who you are and whatever swag you want to show, you would probably would want the endorsement in some respect, right? Tacitly, like the non-fungible Olive Gardens community really wanted the Olive Gardens brand to come in and they wanted them to say, this is an opportunity actually for us because we want to come to Olive Gardens. We want to actually patronize. And the fact that they couldn't sort of see past the meme version of it meant that they became kind of the villain in the story where they actually could have been the hero, except that Darden Concepts, who owns the brand, probably is not the most native crypto forward <laughs> brand in the world. Yeah. So, so wait, the Olive Garden could not see beyond the meme or the, or the community could not see beyond the meme? The Olive Garden's owners, uh, Darden Concepts, who sent the DMCA takedown notice to OpenSea, were sort of made the villain in the story by the folks who own the non-fungible Olive Gardens because they were all like, literally people were buying the Olive Gardens that were closest to them on OpenSea so that they could then patronize and come and be a part of the, the story. Well, uh, just one thing on that point, to be the devil's advocate here and in favor of IP protection, I looked through those Olive Garden NFTs at the time before the takedown notice went through. And I noticed through some uh, backwards search on Google, a lot of those photos were just taken right off the internet from websites and from people who did not agree to allow someone else to sell their photo. So the whole issue of the Olive Garden name notwithstanding, I think that it's not very good of a project to just go around and take photos off the internet and repackage them as an NFT and sell them without even communicating with the photographer. You don't even get it, Danny. I mean, you're so stuck in the past, really. So I'm just pretty rad if you ask me. <laughs> you are. Sam, I had a question maybe just to follow up on that. I mean, how much do you see the NFT movement changing the norms around IP? Because it strikes me that, you know, when YouTube came about, they basically stole a whole bunch of stuff and made money off of it. Now it's kind of usual that you can go on uh, YouTube and download your favorite songs from your childhood. There's nothing wrong with that. Whereas 20 years ago, the idea of doing that would have been an anathema. So do you think we'll see a similar kind of changing of the norms with NFTs? I do think that. I think the, the YouTube concept that you just brought up is great because actually YouTube has deals with every major record label and they are paying the same as radio does. They're paying, you know, cents on, on, uh, on the play to all of those. And it, it's now a way that, in fact, they're even measuring charts, right? Chart positions are driven as much by YouTube as they are by anything else. And what I compared it to in, in the article I wrote was the music industry coming after sampling. Right. So, you know, there was a five year period in hip hop where you could use any record and build your track on it and no one was paying anything. And then it really was Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys, where they, you know, just densely packed in hundreds of samples where record companies started to say, wait a second, they're using our, our material and we have to start coming after this. And there's a lawsuit about that that's pretty famous that was in court for 15 years or so. After that, really, everyone started clearing their samples. Right. So I guess the question is with a one of one, the way that like, Banksy would do and use McDonald's logo, that really is an artistic interpretation. Once, you know, the Meta Birkin guy puts up a storefront with a hundred different Meta Birkins using the brand name in the title, you start getting into the place of like, is this really just a digital retail concept of the future? Right. Just for our listeners who don't know what a Birkin is, it's a fancy, fancy women's bag. I don't know how much they go for, probably thousands of dollars. $10,000. $10,000. The floor. Yes. Yeah. 
Great. Well, uh, we'll be watching this closely. Thanks very much for coming on, sir. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, we're going to move on to our third topic of the day, which is it's very close to Anna's heart, I know, which is synthetic wombs. Uh, this is something that Vitalik Buterin said this week on Twitter, and I'll quote that. He said, disparities in economic success between men and women are far larger once marriage and children enter the picture. Synthetic wombs would remove the high burden of pregnancy, significantly reducing the inequality. So this led to a lot of debate on Twitter with women. It's a championing idea because it's uh, empowering to women. But it does strike me as a, an example of techno-utopianism or solutionism, where these kind of very powerful men come up with these strange concepts that don't really have any basis in reality or technology. And it just seems like a form of signaling, moral signaling. So, so what do you think, Anna? I feel attacked. <laughs> like as a person with a womb, let me use this kind of expression. I feel like this very unique part of me, people say they can just replicate it by some like funny tech and like make babies just like that. If we approach this topic seriously for a second, right? The whole measure of synthetic reproduction of humans is extremely tricky. I don't believe there have been any successful experiments with like creating the whole human embryo and a healthy baby in vitro, not inside a female body. The future in which this is possible, I'm scared to even look there because you just cannot even discuss that in such a light way, you know, like right. let's create synthetic womb and therefore, you know, we will destroy economic inequality. You're looking into creating the whole other score of issues with that. I mean, it seems to be of a piece. I mean, Vitalik is a big fan of extending life and, and that, this idea that death is just a disease that we can cure someday. I mean, it seems sort of of a piece with that. What do you think, Danny? I think that this is some whack shit and it reminds me a lot <laughs> of The Matrix. And I think this is, it's, it's like that meme where you have nobody and then you have a really weird statement. That's what this is. This is Vitalik just shooting nothing into the breeze. And I really hope that he's not serious when he pressed send on that tweet. I will say just to come back on that, that a number of female, highly prominent females did support Vitalik. And I'm thinking particularly of Chris Karaskosa, who's actually a columnist now with Coindesk. And she said, I admire Vitalik because he's also the best exposition of why tech needs humanity, this idea that uh, Vitalik is a deeper thinker, a, a more human technologist than, than many people out there, I think is true and, and generally supported in the community. So he may be a bit sort of utopian, but he does have his heart in the right place, maybe. I'm coming from a very different perspective about that, other than you guys, not only because I'm a woman, because also in the US, I believe the maternity leave is how long? Is it one month or how long is the maternity leave now in Russia? I believe it's pretty short. I don't know about Russia. In the U.S. there's no maternity leave. In the U.S. In, in the U.S. So there's basically no such thing. Not, not state-sanctioned uh, maternity leave. I mean, companies will give maternity leaves, but it doesn't come from the state. Right. It's a big question for a woman. You either go out of the workforce to be a full-time mom, to spend this meaningful time with your child. Or you're putting aside that part of your life, but stay in the workforce, you know, using other people caring for your child. In some other countries, for example, in Russia, a maternity leave, like state-sanctioned maternity leave, is um, one to three years. And oh. during the first year, the woman basically receives the most part of her normal salary, and uh, she is guaranteed her job when she comes back. So the employer cannot fire her 
and that really shifts the whole situation. You know, you, you don't have to having a baby is not an economic disadvantage. I mean, you, you would lose some money, but like you're not completely out of the economic life. And in this sense, instead of thinking of synthetic worms, people maybe think of some ways of support for parents, for both men and women having babies. And like maybe capitalism could yield a bit of support to these people. Maybe the government can, and it's much easier make the society supportive interesting Vitalik could definitely get behind that great I think we're going to wrap that up now and thanks very much to everybody Sam Danny Anna Michelle Musso who's the producer here and this has been Opinionated I'm Ben Schiller we'll see you again bye bye you've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller Anna Badakova Danny Nelson and guest Sam Ewan today's show is produced announced and edited by Michelle Musso Our theme song is by Allison. Have any questions or comments? We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.